In the year 320 AD, there was a group of Roman soldiers that had been fighting valiantly under Marcus Arrhenius. And they were known, nicknamed as the Thundering Legion. This particular legion had a group that was well known in the Roman army to have 40 men of Christian faith. And in this era in the Roman Empire, that was actually illegal, but they were known in their legion nonetheless as men of faith. And they would constantly pray for the battles. And it was known within the legion that miracles were done as a result of these men's prayers. At one point, they called down rain from heaven and turned the tide of the battle that they were fighting in. These men were stationed in a region of the empire known as Armenia, modern day Armenia, is where they were. And they were technically part of the 12th legion. Well, an order came from the emperor of all Rome that every man in the army would be required to offer a sacrifice of worship to the empire. And they must do so in front of the entire legion. Well, this group of 40 men in the 12th legion said, we will not offer the sacrifice. They stood up before the governor in the general's absence after the order was issued and said, we are not going to do it. Our belief in Jesus Christ forbids us to offer a sacrifice of worship to an emperor. We won't. And they were bold and unashamed in their proclamation. And it angered the governor. And he said to himself, I'm going to bribe these men. I'm going to offer them promises of comfort and riches and wealth and and all number of women and things to satisfy them. I will bribe them into offering the sacrifice and avoid confrontation. And so an onslaught of offers was made to the men, these 40 men of the 12th legion women and riches and in each case all 40 men rejected the bribe and said no we believe in the honor of Jesus Christ and we will not offer the sacrifice to the emperor and so they realized that they could not bribe them that nothing they could offer them would dissuade them or turn them aside they decided that they would punish them and so they began just a whole slew of physical torture. And an ancient document recorded around 400 AD says this, the governor finding them all resolute caused them to be torn with whips and their sides to be rent with iron hooks, after which they were loaded with chains and committed to jail. Several days after the lynching, the governor informed the general as he returned to town of the refusal of the 40 men to offer the sacrifice. And the the general was irate and he thought, but surely I can still bribe them. Surely I can come up with a prize or a wealth or something significant enough to turn these men aside from their faith. And when he was unsuccessful in that, he devised a most horrific final test. The 40 men were to be stripped naked and marched out onto a frozen lake in the dead of winter. The lake was to be surrounded by other men in their own legion 
who would hold torches and watch. The men in the middle of the lake were to stand there naked until they froze to death or until they recanted. If they recanted, they were allowed to leave the lake and there was a warm bath awaiting them right upon the shore. And the, the, the general thought, surely, surely they will recant. And the 40 men, when they heard their death sentence, they, they said, with joy, we will strip ourselves naked. With joy, we will run to the heart of our punishment because we are proud to represent Jesus Christ. And so they did. They stripped themselves and joyfully marched out to the center of the frozen lake like a triumphant army. And they could be heard along the shores shouting this prayer. And I quote from the ancient document. It said, Lord, we are 40 who are engaged in this combat. Grant that we may be 40 crowned and that we will not be wanting to the sacred number. They prayed that each one of these 40 would be resolute and no one would recant. So as night began to fall, these 40 soldiers, these 40 believers in Christ stood naked in the center of a frozen lake in the dead of winter with eyewitnesses waiting and watching and knowing that surely they would recant. As the night went on, we can't know the physical pain and the depth of torment they felt in their bodies. Men around started fall, dropping dead, collapsing and laying in an even colder lake in just pure pain. Finally, one man said, I'd have enough. And, and he ran to the shore and recanted and denounced his relationship with Christ. To slip into the warm bath only to die. And the other 39 stood strong. One of the soldiers guarding the lake saw the man recant. And he said, there will be 40 martyrs tonight. He proclaimed Christ, stripped naked, and walked onto the frozen lake with the 39. As morning dawned, the guards collected up the bodies, most of whom were dead now, but a few were still struggling with last breaths. The general ordered that all those who were dead and those who were still alive should be thrown in carts and carried away to be burned in a fire and their ashes to be dumped in the river. When the guards carried out this order, they found the youngest soldier from the 40 was still alive, fighting for breath. And they said, we will give this man one more chance to recant. And they left him alone on the frozen lake and they carted the remaining 39 bodies away. They thought he'll come to his senses now. He knows we're throwing all of his comrades into the fire. He'll surely deny Christ. He'll surely think of his comfort. He'll surely think of his life and value it now that the end is imminent and none of his comrades will even know. But the mother of that soldier had heard that her son and her son alone had lived through the night and was left on the frozen lake. She walked across the lake to the body of her son. And the son reached up to his mom 
just barely able to move to offer some sort of comfort. And the mother leaned down and whispered in the ear of her dying son, encouragement to fight on. And now reading and quoting again from the ancient document in 480, it says, when she came up to her son, she found quite frozen and not able to stir, scarcely breathing. She looked, he looked on her with languishing eyes and made a little sign with his weak hand to comfort her. She exhorted him to persevere to the end and fortified by the Holy Ghost, she picked him up, put him with her own hands into the wagon with the rest of the martyrs without shedding a tear, but her face filled with joy. She said, go son, proceed to this happy end, this journey with thy companions and may thou mayest be not the last to present himself before your God for whom you so willingly die. The title of tonight's message, Naked and Unafraid. Romans chapter one, verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ Jesus. It is the power of God at work saving everyone. Friends, we live in a critical era. We live in a time where the majority of our peers do not know Jesus Christ. We are the minority as people who have a relationship with Jesus who pursue him. And the truth is that the majority of the people that you and I come in contact with on a daily basis, unless something dramatic changes in their life, they will perish and spend eternity in hell. And I realize that's like a really hard thing to swallow. We don't like to talk about things like hell, but if we have regard or love for the people around us, it is something that from time to time we must discuss. Whenever I think of it, I think of an image from the movie Titanic. Do you remember as the, as the ship is sinking and the lifeboats are drifting and the wealthy are in the lifeboats that are comfortable, they're half full, and people are stretched out and cellos are available with floating room in lifeboats while people are bobbing their heads in ice cold water, surely will die within a few moments, if not hours at best. And I remember a scene in this movie as they look, the people in the lifeboat, and one of them says, we should go back for them. But the rest of the passengers in the lifeboat say, we can't save them all. They won't all fit. And what if they become unruly and they capsize us and then we all perish? And so all the lifeboats row away from the drowning souls around them. Research later showed that although the Titanic had less than half of the number of lifeboats that would be legally appropriate, 
a minimum of 500 more people could have fit in the lifeboats, but were never offered because someone valued comfort. Someone valued prestige in society more than a human soul. And friends, in a spiritual sense, we have come into an era where our culture values comfort. Our culture values prestige. We call it reputation. We call it popularity. But we value our social status more than human souls. And if we truly are believers in Jesus Christ, and we realize that we needed a savior to redeem us from our sins and rescue us from our shame and deliver us into salvation, then we must acknowledge that the people we live and talk with and interact with on a daily basis are in the same condition as us. And if we believe these things, then we must be compelled to take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be compelled to break out of our comfort zone and stand for what is true and what is right, even though it cost us. God is looking for a witness who will stand boldly and without wavering, who will die to themselves and to their desires. Now the men in Rome, they, they physically died. It is unlikely that you will physically die by sharing Christ at your high school, although it has happened. It is unlikely that you will physically die, but you know what might need to die? Your reputation might need to die this school year. Your popularity might need to die. Your idolatry, your lustiest affair with yourself might have to die for you to be able to proclaim Christ. And that is uncomfortable because we love and value comforts. But God is searching for a witness to stand against all odds, against all ridicule, to sacrifice status quo. Jesus said it this way in Mark 8. He said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. Someone has to take up the burden. Someone has to shoulder the cross of selflessness and point people in your school, on your team, at your workplace to Christ. And it will cost popularity. It will cost friendships. Someone has to pray. Someone has to carry the burden of prayer for your school. Someone has to reach out to the unlovely, the uncool, the bullied, the unpopular, and speak to them and say that they matter. Someone has to reach out to the confused, and someone has to care. Not just about themselves and their comfort and their social status, but about the souls. Every human being we interact with every day of our lives is an eternal soul that will spend all eternity either in the very presence of God or in eternal torment. And you and I are the ones that God has sent as ambassadors. I did not grow up knowing that Jesus Christ died for my sins. 
I had no idea until my freshman year in high school. None. And the truth is that most people around me thought that I was a good person and I had my faith thing pretty much figured out. And when I said, when I first heard the gospel and I first understood what Jesus done for me, I began like telling everyone and tons of people looked me in the face and they're like, oh, we thought you like knew that already. And I felt betrayed and I felt angry because I had no idea. And if they knew, why didn't they make sure I knew? And yet a passivity has lulled our generation to sleep where we think faith is a personal business and I don't have the right to trample on someone else's personal, private faith. And I say, you do. Not only do you have a right, but you have a responsibility before God to stand up, speak the truth, and proclaim the gospel. No matter who stands with you and who hides Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. I challenge you to consider the story of the Roman soldiers and to really ask yourself, who are you most like in the story? Are you the one that joyfully strips yourself of your pride and your status and your reputation and joyfully runs to the middle of the frozen lake where you are stripped of all dignity to just represent Christ no matter what it costs? Or are you more like the Roman soldiers on the side Staring and watching, wondering who's going to take the stand, who's going to shoulder the burden. I wonder if in that midst, in that crowd of Roman soldiers on the side of the lake, if there weren't other believers that were just hiding, they were just playing the field and keeping their options open and being a little hardcore and private, but certainly not in front of the general... Who are you in the story? Matthew 10, 32 says, Jesus is speaking and Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me here, who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. I did my freshman year of high school pretty much, pretty much like a Roman soldier on the side of the lake looking at the hardcore center. I didn't know much about Jesus. I didn't really understand the Bible yet. I was a newly saved person. I didn't want to stand out. But two days into the summer of my freshman year, God gave me a vision. And you have to remember, it's, it's hard sometimes, like, you're like, well, J.L., you're a pastor. No, I'm a freshman in high school. I'm, I'm like, not from a religious family. I, I'm like nothing. 
I'm, I'm nobody in particular. I'm kind of dorky. And this was the very first time in my life that God ever gave me a vision. And I'm standing there and I see myself like in this vision, I see myself in my own high school. And I'm walking down the hallway of my high school. And I see like it's like class passing time. And so I see students walking and, and they're walking this way and they're walking that way and everybody's laughing and everybody's talking and it just looks like normal passing time. And I'm standing right in the middle and people are going by on each side of me. And all of a sudden, in my vision, my eyes are opened. And I see that the people walking in both directions are laden with chains. Heavy, heavy chains like those of prisoners. They have, they have around their ankles and between their legs and they're dragging balls. And their arms are just heavy with chains. And everybody's chains look different. And everybody has a different number of locks and a different number of wraps and a different number of weights that they're dragging, but they're, but they're prisoners. And I'm standing in my bedroom and I'm seeing this and it's like a dream and it's vivid and I'm wide awake and the Holy Spirit speaks to me so clearly and he says, Jael, your classmates are prisoners in a spiritual war and the devil is holding them captive and I am sending you to set them free in my name. And I'm like, me? Are you kidding? I like, my family doesn't even go to church. I don't even know the Bible. I'm kind of dorky. I'm a Girl Scout, for goodness sake. I am not cool. No one is going to listen to me. Like, I can't possibly, go, I won't even know how to answer their hard questions. Plus, I have a temper, and last summer, I actually kicked a man as hard as I could in the balls in front of everybody. And at homecoming dance, the second week of my freshman year in the school cafeteria, I B-slapped a kid across the face. Like, nobody is, straight truth, nobody is going to believe me. You know what God said to me? Nothing. He didn't even listen to my excuses. Showed me the picture. One more time. Of the kids in the hallway of my high school, heavy laden with chains. And he said, students you go to school with are prisoners of a war and I am sending you to set them free in my name. Nobody knew I had this vision. Nobody knew God had spoke to me. It would have been really easy to just go on with life as normal and never say a word about it. But something happened inside me that day and I decided I was gonna answer the call. Though no one else go with me that I was gonna do it. And like God gave me a strategy to like divide up the summer, there's three months of the summer and I was gonna spend one month in prayer and fasting. I'm 15, I was making this up as I went, in prayer and fasting. And I would fast as much as I could and I would walk two and a half miles every day to my high school and I would pray around the school and I would anoint it with oil because I'd heard someone say that in church. And do you know what oil I had? My mom's Pam cooking spray. 
got caught doing it and they thought I was vandalizing the school and I was like, I'm actually praying for it and this is my anointing oil. And they just were like, okay. And they just left me alone. So anyways, for, for 30 days of the summer, I made it my mission to pray. I got my yearbook and I would turn to every face in my class and I would pray for them by name, that they would come to know Christ, that they would understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would be set free from their chains. My parents had no idea what fasting was. Um, they thought I had turned anorexic. And seriously, were very upset um, and didn't know what to do. But I just, that's what I felt like God called me to do. So I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I argued with my mom and dad about fasting. And I prayed some more and I walked two and a half miles to school and two and a half miles back. And I lapped the school seven times because Joshua went around the city seven times. And I read that somewhere. So I did it. I didn't know. I was 15. I was just trying to be obedient, you know? And the next month, I spent the entire month learning about other people. And you know why? Because I'm accidentally witchy sometimes. And sometimes I look pissed. Look, I have like a scowl line right there. And I thought, if I'm going to tell people about Jesus, I have to look happy. And I have to look like I like them. And so I seriously read books about how to be nice to others true statement and how to make other people feel special and how to listen to them so they would feel loved and stuff and then for the I know it's awkward to talk about now and I didn't tell anyone as it was unfolding and then then the last um month I spent working on how to witness how how do I actually tell people about Jesus True conversation. I called my youth pastor on the phone. It's before texting, so we had to call people to ask awkward things. And I said, teach me that prayer that you pray so someone doesn't go to hell. And he was like, what? And I was like, could you recite it for me so I could write it down so that I can give it to people so they can pray it and not go to hell? And he's like, there's not an exact wording to it. I was like, well, just teach me one of them then. So I, I had no clue. And so I learned, like, how, how do I explain? How do I answer the hard questions? And I spent 30 days trying to learn how to answer all the questions. And, and you know what? I didn't know what I was doing. But I did the best I could. And guess what? God showed up. God showed up in my high school. And I started a Bible study, and then the atheists got mad, and then they sued me, and then my principal got upset and shut down my Bible study, and I almost got kicked out of high school. But then we won a legal battle in court, and then everybody wanted to hear about Christ. And then, I mean, there was just miracle after miracle after miracle that happened in my high school life. And I was nothing. I was no one special. I had nothing in particular about me. In fact, I was about as big of a dork as could come, but was fighting to try to be cool my whole freshman year. And my sophomore year, I just went, go ahead. I'll be the Jesus freak. I don't care. And it was like one giant rejection of me and me laying down my reputation. And then... The stuff I saw, you guys. One, one particular moment I will never forget was I was driving my mom's minivan because I was cool, remember? I was driving my mom's minivan and I was driving all the freshman soccer players to practice. And I wanted them to come to church with me after practice, but I always had to leave an hour early for practice. And I told the coach, bench me if you want, but I'm going to church. 
because I was a starter and I was like, I'm going to church. If you got to bench me, bench me, but I will leave at this time every Wednesday to go to church, period. And he hated me for it, but he let me do it. And so I told all the freshmen, I'm like, you guys should come with me today and I will drive you to church. And they said, there is no way that Coach Kramer will ever let half the team leave practice an hour early. And I was like, oh, he'll let you. And he's like, no, he won't. We go back and forth. And so I said, well, what if coach were to cancel practice? At which all the little freshmen laughed at me. I was a junior at this point. They laughed at me and they're like, oh, silly JL. It's a religious fanatic JL. Um, the coach never cancels practice. And I was like, well, he'd have to cancel practice if it hailed. And they were like, sure, clearly he would. As we're driving, mind you, it is blue skies, birds are chirping, there are zero clouds in any direction that I can see. And I said, he'll have to cancel practice if it hails. And as soon as I said it, I was like, why did I say that? That was stupid because it ain't gonna hail. And so they were like, well, you know, they called, they called my bluff. They're like, well, it's certainly not gonna hail. And I was like, well, what if I prayed that it did? And then it did, would you guys come to church with me then? <laughs> Since they had nothing to lose, they said yes. And so like straight truth, okay? I'm driving down Oneida Street. I stick my hand out the window and lift it up so spiritually to the sky like this, and I close my eyes while driving. And I say, God in Jesus' name, please create hail in the sky and cause Coach Kramer to cancel practice. And then I do the most awkward thing possible. I begin praying in my prayer language, in front of all these people that don't know Christ. And a cloud begins to form. And the freshmen in my van go, they start freaking out. Now it's a small cloud, but it's forming. And so I like take some faith on this. Like I gather some faith and I'm like, yes, in Jesus' name, it is beginning to hail. And guys, I watched with my own eyes the cloud grow, the cloud darken, and the hail begin to fall. And when we pulled up at Franklin Middle School where the varsity girls soccer team practiced, it was hailing. And Coach Kramer was standing with a metal clipboard over his head, running from car to car saying, go home, there's no practice tonight. And I took my van full of girls, straight to church, one hour early. <laughs> and every single girl accepted Christ that night. And, and before the end of my senior year, the principal and vice principal who shut me down, my Bible study down, accepted Christ. I took a speech class and we had to do four speeches, a how-to speech, a motivational speech, a persuasive speech, and an interview. And so I did a how to accept Christ as your personal savior speech. I did why you should be motivated to accept Christ as your personal savior. 
I persuaded my classmates to accept Christ as their personal savior. And I interviewed my youth pastor about how one might accept Christ as their personal savior. And that was what I did. Every single semester, I carried my Bible, old school paper Bible on the top stack of my books. And every chance I got, I went up to students and said, what can I pray for you about today? What can I pray for you about today? And people both dis disliked me, but respected and revered my message. And they would come to me, and they would say, my grandma has cancer, will you pray? My parents are getting divorced, will you pray? I've been to the parties, and I've been sleeping around, and I'm empty and lonely, tell me about Jesus. And student after student after student, I had no friends, I was, I was a loser, but I won in every way. And guys, we're all different. We're all different in what we're called to do. But I'll tell you what we're not called to do. We're not called to stand on the outside of the lake and expect someone else to be naked and unafraid in the middle. Somebody has to be the witness. Somebody has to stand up. We can't just quietly hope someone will see us being nice to others and that our niceness will draw them to ask us, why are you such a good person? I think I need Jesus like you. That doesn't happen. That's never happened to me, ever. No one's ever been like, you're so nice. I want what you... We have to be bold and we have to be upfront and we have to call it like we see it and we have to do it out of love. We can't count conversions like settlers counted scalps. It's not a game, it's eternity. And I guess I'm saying on this eve of the first day of school, could 2016, 2017 be a different kind of school year? Whether you're in high school or you're in college, could it be a different kind of school year? A kind of school year where you see miracles, where you see salvations, where you see healings, where you see people's lives be changed. Could a group, 75 high school students, change the spiritual atmosphere of Mesa County? I think yes. But somebody has to be willing to stand naked. Stripped of reputation, stripped of pride, stripped of coolness, and be unafraid. The way I want to end this service tonight, or I feel led to end this service tonight, is to have us group up by school. I want us to group up by school so that we can pray together as a group for our school. And I know tomorrow some schools have prayer meetings already starting on their campuses. Junction has one tomorrow at 645 to pray that this school year would be different. They're meeting at their flagpole. You'll talk about it in your campus huddle. But if you are, if you are from uh, Central, I want you to gather up over here. And Jake Stewart, Central alum, is going to meet you over there. If you're from Junction, Chuck's going to meet you guys right over there. 
And when you get to your group, what I want you to do is I want you to pray. Like not cute little prayers, but like pray like eternity matters. Palisade, you guys are gonna meet over here in the front. And Fruta, you guys are gonna meet down here. And everybody else, there's R5, Cap Rock, the online schools. You guys meet just like a little bit right over there. There's gonna be leaders in every group, but really what I want, what I think God wants, is for you as students to rise up and pray for your classmates. Pray for your teachers and your teammates and your coaches and your principals and pray for the salvation of your generation. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.